Hello and welcome to the Medjlis Podcast, ready for Europe, Radio Liberty's current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjlis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. The Shanghai Cooperation Organization, or SCO, just held its annual summit in Samarkand, Uzbekistan. With members such as China, Russia, India, and Pakistan, SCO summits always receive a lot of attention. But this year there was a lot of attention directed at conflicts involving individual member states and what these states' leaders did and did not say at the summit and in meetings on the sidelines. So what happened and what didn't happen at the organization's 21st summit? To discuss all this, I am joined by Paklawan Thurgunov, a correspondent for RFERL's Uzbek service known locally as Azad Lik, who was in Samarkand covering the summit, Paul Stronsky, a senior fellow at Carnegie Endowment's Russia and Eurasia program and author of many articles on Central Asia and more broadly, politics on the Eurasian continent. And Murad Nasimov, a research assistant in a German research foundation-funded project on Eurasian regionalism at the Institute of Political Science, Justus Liebig University of Gießen in Germany, where Murad also teaches courses on politics and methods. So uh, thank you all for joining me. And uh, Pakluan, I want to start with you. You were in Samarkand for the summit. Tell me a bit about the mood there. What were people discussing? Well, thank you, Bruce. Hello, everyone. Uh, well, the, the, the name of the SEO shows in Russian, as you know, has become synonymous uh, with the name of Samarkand these days, I would say. City streets, uh, markets, people all seem to have given way to the SCO and the guests arriving from abroad to the summit, for the summit. You will hardly see ordinary people in the Siob market. As you know, there is a, a, a huge market in the historical city center in Samarkand, which is called Siob. It's quite uh, famous among uh, local people, among tourists, Western tourists. And the uh, streets in the historical center of the city, which are usually crowded with uh, tourists, so there is a massive security presence here. The uh, start of the academic year in schools, uh, in city schools, was delayed and the city center was uh, closed on Tuesday when we arrived here, two days before the start of the summit. And uh, public transport and uh, regular taxis are also limited in most parts of the city. Uh, mainly special government cars allocated uh, for the summit and coming from the Tashkent Drive, the journalists were also transported in such uh, cars and spe specially allocated buses today, yesterday and today. Preparations for the summit changed the normal lives, changed normal image of the city and people's lives. As I can see, I last visited Samarkand in 2019. Uh, the people of Samarkand are quite used to such uh, big events, festivals, as you can imagine. I myself have participated in the coverage of uh, a couple of international cultural events in the past. But the preparations this time, uh, I think, uh, cannot be compared with anything. It can be assumed that uh, ordinary people of Samarkand uh, will feel much uh, uh, lighter now that the summit is over and the roads uh, have been opened now. But uh, I don't know how much the world will get uh, get away with it. Even even though Ukraine was not on the agenda of the summit, on the official agenda of the summit, there were expectations that the Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, could send a firmer message to Putin on the issue of Ukraine. But it, no, it did not happen. And uh, Xi Jinping talk, talked about, in, to, in, in his today's speech, he talked about 
further deepening of uh, relations with Russia. Okay, okay, thank you very much. Um, Paul, I'm going to come to you then. Um, this Shanghai Cooperation Organization summits, let, let's, be, let's be honest, they're not, there's a lot of, you know, big leaders there and everything, but they don't really seem to accomplish a heck of a lot at these kind of things, and certainly their joint statements don't reflect anything majorly important or certainly unexpected. How much, how much was the carpet kind of pulled out from underneath the feet of the leaders that they had to deal with an assortment of problems in their countries uh, or involving their countries. We, you know, as Pahlawan said, we have one, we got the problem with Russia and its war in Ukraine. Uh, and then, of course, today, well, actually, for the last couple of days, there have been tensions along the Tajik-Kyrgyz border. But today it erupted into, you know, full-scale warfare in areas of the, the border. You know, uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan's leaders were invited. Uh, Armenian prime minister did not show up. The Azerbaijan president did show up. How much is this from from the event of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit. Well, first, thank you for having me. Um, and I, I really do think it, it, it distracted uh, from the summit. Uh, I did notice there was a picture of all of the leaders smiling together, uh, sitting on a couch. Um, I saw uh, Azerbaijani President uh, Ilham Aliyev uh, uh, in that picture. Uh, and it really just struck me as quite removed from the reality of what is happening uh, in the broader region uh, right now. Uh, and nobody really wanted to talk about that. And the realities are, one, Russia got routed earlier this week in Ukraine. Uh, two, uh, the Azerbaijani-Armenian situation has really moved into sort of an active phase, the worst violence we've seen in, in, in years. Uh, and then three, the violence that we've seen in, uh, in Tajikistan um, and uh, Kyrgyzstan, uh, you know, which again, I think is, is extremely troubling. Uh, this context was, was not really, uh, really addressed. And it was, you know, a meeting where everyone looked happy. But um, I think what we're seeing is we're going to be seeing a, a lot of shifts uh, in, in the region. You know, first of all, um, I would I would kind of disagree um, that Ukraine was not really on the on the table. We didn't know what what President Xi and President Putin talked about, but Putin's remarks uh, yesterday about how there were differences in in uh, he admitted the differences in the Chinese view of of global politics of Ukraine. I think that's quite noteworthy. Worthy um, that that he actually admitted that. I also think uh, there were statements, um, I believe maybe from Merziyev uh, about how they did not want to turn the SEO into an anti-Western organization. Um, uh, you know, the fact that two of the biggest members there have have strong anti-Western policies, and the West is against the, uh, the, these uh, as well. So what I, I I did see Ukraine in the background here, um, and I did see a, a very uh, uncomfortable group of actually Central Asian leaders. Um, who have lots of problems, uh, are dancing a very delicate balancing act here. And they're also quite busy, you know, running around the world. You know, Takayev had she, he also had the Pope uh, all in one week. Uh, and so, um, you know, there's a lot going on. Uh, and this was just one bit. Great. Thank you very much. And Murad, I know that you've been watching these, these SEO summits for a while, too. Um, what, what's different about this one than the other ones? I mean, this was supposed to be, you know, uh, a great event. Uh, certainly, you know, the Silk Route city of Samarkand, it was it looked like it was going to be practically a, a festival or a party or something, but it didn't turn out that way. How did this one, how did this summit differ from previous ones? Yeah, thank you, first of all, having me. And I think already Paul mentioned uh, a number of issues that would come as an answer to your question. Uh, well, before the call, uh, I wanted to write down a number of issues that make this summit special or different or more meaningful than the previous ones. 
So uh, first of all, this was the first time that the SEO summit was held uh, in a face-to-face -face format since the 2019 summit in Bishkek, and uh, and it was the largest, if I'm not uh, mistaken, this was the largest uh, summit. I mean, in the sense that it has the largest attendees ever SEO summit had. So we we saw uh, Turkish pres President Erdogan there, uh, Aliyev there. And of course, the fact that this happened uh, amid the a war in Ukraine, escalation on the Armenian Azerbaijani border and Tajik Kyrgyz border, uh, and the tension around Taiwan. So, this, this, this made more meaningful the, the summit and attracted attention from all around the world. And of course, the, another point is uh, Xi Jinping's uh, visit. Uh, it's the first visit abroad since the beginning of the pandemic, if I'm not mistaken. Last time his visit was to Myanmar in 2019. And it's also important for Jinping because of the upcoming uh, important uh, meeting, of, meeting of the uh, Chinese Communist Party leadership, where he will seek a third term in office. But we know that China experienced a drastic economic slowdown and uh, harsh administrative measures, which of course didn't make uh, Chinese uh, happy. So. Uh, Obviously, Jinping was seeking to boost confidence in himself, and then when he's back to his country to portray uh, a foreign policy success. Uh, and of course, uh, well, what is important is that also uh, first time since the clash between China and India in the uh, Galvan Valley, Indian Prime Minister Modi and Chinese leader Xi Jinping shared the stage. Well, there were a number of other issues like the implementation plan for the 2023 uh, and 2027 period of the Treaty on Long-Term Good Neighborliness, Friendship and Cooperation, which was signed in 2007, and this was the 15th anniversary uh, of the treaty, and it's actually also mentioned in the Samarkand uh, Declaration. And yeah, again, first time leaders were meeting face to face after the U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, and obviously Afghanistan was on the table, and we know that the uh, there are differences uh, and nuances of the views of the member states, particularly between Uzbekistan and Tajikistan in Central Asia. Uzbekistan the loudest supporter of taking a proactive approach towards the Taliban, while you know, Tajikistan got concerns with that. But overall, all countries, all the member states want to see no further destabilization in Afghanistan. And I was expect I was expecting, and like many other experts, that Ukrainian top people would be publicly played down and as Paul said already, it was, but of course, definitely it was in bilateral and close discussion of the leaders. Yeah, well, that's what I think I could have for now. And yeah, maybe perhaps last thing, yeah, Iran, Memorandum Arena, Iran's admission is important, is important in also in, in, in the sense that this is the first time since the 1979, the uh, Islamic Revolution, Iran is joining an international organization. And uh, Qatar's and, and Egypt's partnership uh, 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 partnership status were confirmed, but we know that there are like a around 10 countries seeking a dialogue partnership status for themselves in this organization, like Maldives, Syria, Israel, Bahrain, Iraq, and Saudi. And it's we need also here to remember that Azerbaijan applied for the upgrade of its status long before, and we learned from 
Ilham Aliyev's speech in one of his recent uh, visits to Russia that Azerbaijan hasn't received any answer, any official answer to his um, to its application uh, for the upgrade of the status. So a, a lot of a number of issues. And just before the call, I was very quickly reading the Samarkand Declaration. Five documents were adopted, Samarkand Declaration and or other um, statements uh, on climate change supply chain, food security, and energy security. So there are lots of uh, emphasis on multilateralism in multipolar world, uh, particularly in the Samarkand Declaration. And there are many other points I think we'll, be, we'll, we'll have a chance to discuss. Thank you. Yeah, excellent. And we certainly will discuss that in the second half of the show. We'll try to get at the, uh, at the core of what, what kind of influence uh, the Shanghai Cooperation Organization actually has. But while we got Paklawan here, Paklawan, you would have t- spoken with a lot of people. Uh, you know, about other journalists, people who are attending this this summit, uh, you know, to, whether to cover it or just as as invited guests, but not, obviously not the leaders. Um, what what was what were some of the main topics? What were people interested in talking about? Well, well first of all, there is a massive media presence here to cover the summit, including Azad League. Azad League was granted temporary accreditation for the first time since uh, 2000, 2005, since the Andijan massacre. During the summit, we asked the, the quite critical questions. We had always asked the authorities about the economic situation in Uzbekistan, about uh, political human rights situation in Uzbekistan, and tried to get answers from them. But often, instead of clear answer, responses were, could you have imagined that the journalists of Azad League would come, or BBC would come to Uzbekistan five years ago? So... It shows that Uzbekistan is changing. More than 400 uh, foreign journalists visited uh, to cover the summit, including um, some uh, Western publications. There were no obstacles in the process of covering the summit. We easily communicate with people in the streets and markets. People here are familiar with our work, with the work of RFRL, Ozat League. There were also people uh, who were, when we met some people, when we interviewed some people, in the Siop market here, there were people that were surprised to see that we are from Radio Liberty. Journalists working for the government uh, publications communicate with us uh, without fear uh, this time because uh, we had uh, an official accreditation from the government. But at the same time, the opportunity to communicate with the authorities was uh, quite limited, I would say. There was only one briefing after the... Uh, after they have signed uh, the Samarkand Declaration, after the uh, uh, summit ended, there was a briefing with the participation of the Uzbek Foreign Minister Vladimir Norov and the General Secretary of Secretary of the SCO uh, Jean Min. They uh, both made a statement, kind of final statement on the results of the summit, but they did not take any questions from the journalists. But there were many questions to be asked. In particular, as you and Paul mentioned, the military clashes uh, that's been happening today on the Kyrgyz-Tajik border. Neither the the leaders of the two countries nor the SCO officials have made any statements about this. Instead, the heads of states, both uh, president of uh, Tajikistan and presidents of Kyrgyzstan, talked about the uh, fight against extremism and international terrorism, as well as the 
cyber security in cooperation with um, uh, other members of the Shanghai organization. It's not clear how the, in the light of the clash that's, that, that is happening on the Kyrgyz-Tajik border today, it's not clear how the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, uh, which uh, puts the uh, regional security first and regional cooperation will act in, in situations as such. Great, thank you, thank you. What, what? Uh, just to try to get this a little, a little bit more clear. What topic did you hear people talking about the most on the uh, when you were hanging around, when you were there, listening to the conferences, talking with other people, journalists? What, what's, what one topic was there the most popular? What did you hear the most when you were there? Was it Putin? Well, yeah, it was, it was, it was mainly Putin and the the the, the Ukraine. Ukraine was the main topic which uh, was uh, being discussed uh, among journalists, local and foreign journalists. And as I said, it was uh, not on the official agenda. It was a main topic discussed uh, between leaders. I mean, Putin, Xi Jinping and Putin uh, and Erdogan uh, during the uh, bilateral meetings. But... Uh, Uzbeks, uh, Uzbek officials did not want the topic of Ukraine to uh, dominate the summit and to be the main topic. Instead, they were emphasizing the importance of the regional cooperation, importance of the the investment and uh, kind of uh, logistical projects, including Termes, uh, mazar sharif Kabul and Peshawar railway project. But uh, the Ukraine was uh, kind of main to- topic of the discussions of, well, around the summit. Uh, before I let you go, you, you mentioned the one railway. Well, what about the China-Kyrgyzstan-Uzbek railway? Yes, uh, one such project was the construction of the China-Kyrgyzstan-Uzbekistan railway. On the, the, on the eve of the summit, I think two days before the summit, agreement was signed uh, between China, Uzbekistan and Kyrgyzstan to start part of the construction project that will pass through Kyrgyzstan in 2023. I think this agreement uh, can be said to be one of the most concrete results of the summit so far. At the extended meeting of the heads of state, which took place today, President Mirziyoyev called on the leaders of Shanghai uh, organization to support the construction of uh, another important project, Termiz Mazari Sharif Kabul Peshawar Railway. Both projects, as you know, will reduce the dependence of Uzbekistan and other Central Asian countries on transit routes which uh, pass through Russia. But uh, Uzbek officials during our conversations did not want to emphasize that these projects bypass Russia. That is to say, uh, they avoid talking about the geopolitical kind of significance of these projects. And the other aspect of the summit was... uh, the budget of the summit. Uh, events in Samarkand often took place in the historical center of the city, Registan Square, but this time um, all events were held at the newly established Great Silk Road Tourist Center. It is um, on the outskirts of Samarkand. This center itself can be said to be a whole city. Uh, the center was opened on the eve of the summit and millions of dollars were spent on its construction, we asked authorities, officials about the total amount uh, which was spent on holding this summit, but uh, we did not get uh, 
a clear answer. It is clear that it did not come cheap for the state budget of Uzbekistan, where two um, to three million people every year uh, travel for work abroad. We talked to experts close to the government about it, uh, but I should say that in comparison to from Karim's time, they do admit that the problem of poverty in the country uh, persists, and the real income of the population is still low. And they say that the projects within the framework of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, which will eventually help, uh, should eventually help the population to get out of, of poverty, and that Uzbekistan is using Chinese anti-poverty strategy as well. Thank you very much for, for explaining all that stuff. That's interesting about the new center, too. Uh, that they decided to build. Okay, well, we've reached the midpoint, midway point of the podcast, so it's time for me to uh, give a reminder that this is the Medjilis Podcast, Radio for Europe, Radio Liberty's weekly current affairs talk show focusing on Central Asia. I'm Bruce Panier, host of the Medjilis and author of the weekly Central Asia and Focus newsletter. On this episode, we're talking about the Shanghai Cooperation Organization Summit that was just held in Samarkand in Uzbekistan, and I'm joined by Paul Stronsky, a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment's Russia and Eurasia program and author of many articles on Central Asia, more broadly on the political situation on the Eurasian continent. Murad Nasibov, research assistant at the German Research Foundation-funded project on Eurasian regionalism at the Institute of Political Science at Justus Liebig University of Gießen in Germany, where Murad also teaches courses on politics and methods, and Pahlan Turgunov, correspondent for RFERL's Uzbek service, known locally as Azad Lik, who was in Samarkand covering the summit. Paul, okay, we'll get to the second half of the show. We want to talk about what the significance is of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. You know, it's been around 21 years as the Shanghai Cooperation Organization, 26, if you want to go back to the Shanghai Five when it started. Does it really have that much influence in world politics? It, it looks threatening. You know, on, on, on paper, it looks amazing. You have the, these leaders like China, Russia, Pakistan, India, the Central Asian countries, with the exception of Turkmenistan. They're looking to expand Iran's getting in next year. Uh, you know, half the world's population is in the countries of the Shanghai Cooperation Organization. But, but is it any threat at all? Thanks for that question. I mean, I, I think in theory, it, it has potential to be an extremely uh, influential organization. Um, as you said, it involves, you know, key leaders of you know some of the world's uh, most dynamic and, and uh, rapidly changing countries. Uh, but it also, it traditionally has been very high in the, the symbolism. Um, there have been lots of agreements over the years, uh, but not all of those agreements have been fulfilled. And for cooperation, uh, economic development, uh, it is very much a way in which I think regional powers try to uh, uh, balance a very complicated geo-strategic uh, environment where you have you know, Russia and China and India, all of whom have very complicated relations in Pakistan uh, with each other. And I think you just look at, at, at you know, there's tension in the Russian-Chinese relationship over, over Ukraine, we now know. There's always tension in between China and in India, India-Pakistan. Um, and then Ukraine has also created tensions between uh, Russia and many of its Central Asian neighbors, just to highlight also the tensions on the border um, between Kyrgyzstan and, and, and Kazakhstan. I'm sorry, Kyrgyzstan and Tajikistan. Uh, so, you know, this is a, a format that in theory, you know, should be able to, to be a solutions provider. But I think the organization, you know, brings together 
groups with with various different internal and external problems. Um, uh, it's certainly a way in which they can discuss them, uh, but beyond discussing, beyond pledging, I don't see a whole lot of uh, fulfillment. Um, and I, I particularly think, you know, this is a region uh, that this week has been highly destabilized. And uh, as I said before, I saw a lot of smiles. I didn't see a whole lot of solutions coming down. And, and you had all the big players there who you know could have come up with solutions, um, and I didn't really see that. So, uh, so I think that's you know one of the biggest issues. Um, and then it also its expansion is is very wide. Um, it now has to cover you know a whole bunch of different geographic and other political issues that I think it makes uh, coming to any sort of consensus or really you know big discussion. Um, it certainly is important uh, as we move towards a multipolar world. It is a non-Western dominated um, uh, multilateral organization. I think you know all of the states value that, but I don't think it has the same. It certainly doesn't have the same political or security impact um, as many of the other uh, organizations that have been out there for for uh, for a long time. That's great. That's exactly what I wanted you to talk about. Thank you very much for clarifying all this. You know, Murad, I want to move over to you. Well, given what Paul just said, and, and let's add a couple things to this too. There was uh, uh, domestic unrest in Kazakhstan this year. There was domestic unrest in, in Tajikistan and Uzbekistan. You know, we know that, that China's got problems in the Xinjiang uh, Uyghur Autonomous Region. Um, right now that are getting uh, still getting rightfully getting a lot of attention. I mean, what do you see any cohesion? Uh, anything what what you know, what keeps together actually the Shanghai Cooperation Organization? Can we is it an organization or is this more of a chance for uh, is it more of a forum for leaders of these countries to kind of meet without really resolving any major issues? Well, uh, your question reminded me December statement of 2000. So when they just before the before the uh, SCO was established, there was a uh, Shanghai Five, and in December the statements the statement made in December 2000 said they uh, they oppose intervention in other countries' internal affairs on the pretext of humanitarianism and protecting human rights, and support the efforts of one another in, in safeguarding the country's national independence, sovereignty, territorial integrity, and social stability, and cetera. And then they also said that they oppose the use of force and threat of force. Yeah, if you look at what they promised even even before the ex- adopting the charter of the organization, the what the core promised, some of remain there. So they keep still the spirit of the Dushanba statement. But of course, if you consider the uh, what they told about the use of force before and what we see now Russia is doing in Ukraine, yeah, of course, these kind of things uh, it has, hasn't built hell. Yeah, well, the point is that if you compare SEO to, to the EU or NATO or any uh, as a Western style organization, of course, you would say that there is not much cohesion there. What is important is that they manage to keep this spirit together, to use it as a platform to meet each other and and uh, to make a lot of agreements and treaties, uh, bilateral or multilateral, in the in the last 20 years. So it, it has been effective, uh, I believe. It has been effective in keeping the bringing the region together and uh, offering a platform. Out of which came many bilateral uh, developments. Yeah, we know that uh, China is using this kind of organization also in uh, East Asia, Southeast Asia, to expand its influence. So it, from China's perspective, it's an organization that China can use to expand its influence, to boost its footprint in Central Asia. And we know that, yes, 
China is doing this. They invested more than 22 billion in Kazakh economy and they are investing uh, in Uzbekistan. We know that recently they started uh, producing jointly Chinese vaccines. Uh, and in Kazakhstan, they invested in pipelines, wind power, oil refining, auto manufacturing. So of course, all these are not the outcomes of the organization, but I believe in achieving all these, the organization, having the organization was important. But one specific area where organization plays particular role is what they frame terrorism, extremism, and radicalism, yeah. They, they, they have this uh, regional uh, anti-terroristic center, which also cooperates, cooperates with the corresponding center of the CIS, Commonwealth of Independent States. And they have uh, permanent organs uh, in, in Central uh, Asian countries, and they have been successful in moving slowly, gradually. Yeah? It's an incremental process, but it, it, it would be really unfair to say that they haven't achieved anything in the in the last 20 years. And and achievement is significant, uh, insignificant in, in particular specific fields. Yeah, that, that would be shortest answer. Okay, that's good. You know, and I'm going to pick up on something. I'm going to come back to you right now, uh, Murad. And, and I'm going to, Paul, in a minute, I'm going to ask you the same question. Did did the balance of power in the, in the SEO just shift? Over this weekend, you mentioned China and the role that it's been playing for a long time, that it's actually been investing in, uh, you know, the kind of the financial back backbone of, of the SCO for a long time. But given Putin's uh, weakness over Ukraine, did, did, you know, everyone always thought China and Russia were at the top of this organization. Did, did it just shift and is now China the, at the top of this organization alone? Yes, I would say yes, absolutely. Simply because China has the has now the upper hand in in its relationship with Russia, and China is then is now the one in the region who can invest more. And Central Asian countries now need more investment, yeah, more injections into the economies because they inevitably uh, suffered from the Western sanctions on Russia. And one place, the closest one, they would they, where they would turn for support is China, definitely. And Central Asian countries uh, at the top of the list comes Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. They are absolutely interested in developing their economic relations with uh, China. And interestingly, before before his visit to Kazakhstan, there were a number of essays published in Chinese uh, media highlighting the historical ties with Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan. And uh, one of the essays was saying that if they want rapid development, they, they, they can board the express train of China. So these are the uh, areas, the economic development is the area uh, where China will definitely lead, uh, investing more in infrastructure and uh, it has absolutely more resources than Russia. And yeah, well, definitely China is now, will now be leading from now on the organization. And uh, well, what we can expect in the future, we know that there were calls by different actors like Pakistan to use local currencies in rate among the uh, members of the organization. Iran called for a single SCO currency. We don't know how much uh, visible these proposals are uh, now, but yeah, well, these will be considerations of the future, definitely. And uh, any development in, in this regard definitely strengthen uh, uh, China's influence within the organization and in the region overall. Great. Thank you very much. And Paul, I got the same question to you, too. Is this is this when the, is this summit going to be remembered as the one when China really 
showed that it, it's the, the senior partner of this organization. And, and I have a follow-up question about Central Asia's role, but but I'll, first I'll let you answer the, the question about China's role in the SEO. Yeah, I mean, I think several several things. Um, uh, I would I would almost put put Putin's remarks uh, yesterday when he he came back and acknowledged that that Russia and China do not see eye to eye on everything uh, in in the um, uh, in the Ukraine war. I mean, he he looked like he was almost a little chasing schoolboy, and I think he really saw a shift in the power dynamics there. Um, we also saw you know uh, lots of talk about history. I mean, as as you just mentioned about Kazakh and Chinese history. Uh, but also, um, I think she also, I mean, she came, uh, went to Kazakhstan first. I think that was noteworthy. Also reiterated the importance of Kazakhstani sovereignty, uh, signed these deals with Kyrgyzstan uh, and Uzbekistan um, that, that, that could eventually lead to a middle corridor. You know, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it, but but we're, we're definitely seeing a shift, one that is uh, rhetorically, but one in which I think the Chinese leadership has certainly warned uh, the, the Russian leadership that that it's it's kind of watching its behavior in in this region, um, and I'm sure that you know for for Central Asian states um, that that's a positive thing. Um, you know, I also think you know we just sort of need to need to look at sort of the long term shifts um, uh, here. I was expecting a few more things out of out of um, or, or if you asked me you know two years ago, I was expecting. I mean, they, we had all these agreements between uh, Tashkent and Moscow, and one thing that seemed to be missing was a Eurasian Union membership. That's not something I, I kind of thought we were heading uh, a year or two ago, heading in that direction. I think it's notable that that did not happen. Uh, I also think it's notable that, you know, you know, the, the SEO is is one of many organizations that is now um, active here, um, and the region is is you know it, it's it's certainly very useful. I would agree. It's better to have a talking platform than a non-talking platform. I believe, you know, we see a lot of interesting things happening on the bilateral uh, level uh, here. So I think, you know, it is certainly a useful platform. It's certainly a helpful platform in which, you know, the the sort of geopolitical dynamics can be can be talked about, can be balanced out uh, with each other. Um, but I also think, you know, it, it, it it's pretty clear that this is a region that is still very much in flux. Uh, yes, the, the SEO is certainly there. China is certainly uh, in the lead uh, at this point. Uh, Russia's uh, clout seems to be a weakening uh, as a direct result of what it did uh, of its aggression in Ukraine. But this balancing that we're seeing within the SEO, um, uh, we're still seeing elsewhere. Um, I happen to be doing this interview from Brussels, where I've met with lots of EU officials, and I've heard a lot about you know reengagement and receptiveness of uh, Central Asian countries. Countries, you know, not to be just left between Russia uh, or China, and, and and real, you know, desire to figure out uh, a, a new path. Um, uh, and I think, you know, the the statements about, you know, not wanting this to become an, an anti-Western organization. Um, I think, you know, we're seeing Central Asia and Central Asian states uh, in various different means try to steer it in a way in which you know, this is not just um, uh, an organization that is used uh, in which these countries are used um, as tools uh, of China or Russia against the West. They want to have some agency in this, too. Um, and I think we're, we're seeing uh, some of that. So I, I would not be surprised if we see this institution evolve. It will probably grow, but it'll be interesting to see how that those dynamics evolve. This is perfect because you, you managed to help me transit right into my next question, which is when several years ago, um, when Pakistan and India were both still candidates to get in, but it was obvious that they were going to get in. But but then Uzbek President Islam Karimov objected to either one of those countries getting in. And he said, you know, that the, the Central Asian states, if you put India and Pakistan in with China and Russia, the Central Asian states will have such little say 
and what's going on in this organization. We'll lose any, there won't be any, any sign of equality. We'll lose any influence that we had in the organization. Do you think that this summit, especially with, with Russia kind of, Russia's influence kind of receding in the region, do you think the Central Asians were successful in, in projecting themselves, projecting their agency within this organization and more importantly, internationally, globally? Um, I, you know, I do. I think, you know, what we've seen in the last, um, you know, several years, uh, another aspect of, of this, um, and, and I think, you know, pro- probably the changeover from, from Karimov to Mirziaev uh, has helped facilitate this, but we're seeing much more regional cooperation. Certainly, uh, the SEO probably jump-started that, but I think we're seeing um, uh, an ability, particularly with, with new leaders, to uh, talk about the regional problems, to talk about regional solutions, and not just depend on on everyone else uh, to do that. Certainly, they're going to need outside money to do that. But I think, you know, we are seeing uh, them uh, uh, assert themselves, either in what they're signing, when they're signing it, who they're signing it with. Uh, I think we're seeing a lot of pushback against against Russia. And I also see, um, you know, other organizations and other entities getting involved. You know, we're seeing a, a re-engagement of Turkey. Interesting, it's there. But we also see, you know, the, the organization of Turkic states, which is, which is you know, a, another interesting um, uh, platform that I'm sure we could ha- we could talk about uh, at some point too, um, but I do see um, these countries. You know, the SEO is a a place in which they they are trying to assert themselves. They're trying to um, use some of the outside powers, mostly China, to assert themselves uh, uh, vis-a-vis Russia. Um, and I, I have a feeling this trend will continue. Great, thank you very much. And Murat, kind of the same question to you too. Do you see that the Central Asian states are are they standing more firmly on their own feet now? After this, uh, after this summit in Samarkand, you know, and also how much how much does it mean to them that Azerbaijan and Turkey were included in this? Well, your question uh, to me and also your question reminded me one of our outcomes we have in our research here. Part of our project we are studying, studying, we are conducting thematic analysis of publications, Shanghai Cooperation Organization, CSDA and CIS in the last 20 years. Interestingly, one of the themes coming up is that the, the epistemic community, the Russian-speaking, not necessarily only Russian uh, uh, community, Russian scholars, but Russian-speaking also those in Central Asia community, epistemic community, they see that it provides access to Central Asian, uh, uh, Central Asian states to international forum. So this was kind of obviously from the beginning, the idea by uh, Central uh, should be there. But with the growing uh, number of members in the organization, we, we uh, India and Pakistan joined in 2017. Full membership will be shown in, it's expected to be official uh, in April 2023, which is really short time compared to previous clearance. And while well, Belarus is on the way at some point, Mongolia would also be added in uh, Azerbaijan, Azerbaijan, previous visits by, you know, is not taken on board. But with the growing number of members, observers, and dialogue partners, there's a risk that the organization marginal utility will go down. And and first and second, China's lead role will be also be influenced. Yeah, when you keep it short, uh, when, when you keep the least short, so it's because that China's uh, role will be uh, really influential. But when you get more and more on, uh, on the board, particularly from outside the region, yeah, or from far region, um, it, it, it will it will be everybody's stake will go down definitely. 
And uh, well, yeah, as as Bonjour and Turkey, they are they're interested in participating in different, and this is an important them. As Bonjour rejected CSTO membership before, but was happy to be around here as CSTO. And uh, Paul mentioned the uh, Turkic state organization of Turkic states also very in, uh, important to discuss. What's the linkage of these? Topic to what we are discussing is that Turkey has been leading uh, certain regionalism. Yeah, it started a, a ritual of regionalism in 2000s, but we know that it gained some important grounds and uh, uh, economic, economic transportation, uh, energy grounds. And these are the grounds that shared also by SEO. So naturally, Turkey is interested to be part of it and uh, not to run to be seen as uh, as a country running uh, an alternative alternative regionalism that excludes the others. Okay, great. Thank you very much for, for that. Um, a little bit of my breaking in and out, but thank you, Murat. Uh, okay, well, unfortunately, we are um, we're coming to the end of the broadcast. We uh, I could talk about this for a long, long time. There's a lot of topics we couldn't even get to. But so I'd like to thank our guests. I'll give you I'll give you one quick shot to to get in one or two sentences if you think I missed something. Uh, Paul, anything you want to add to the conversation? Oh, well, first of all, thank you for having me. I felt this was a really uh, productive conversation. I mean, the only other thing that I think uh, you know we could add um, is that you know I think the Central Asian states also need to be very careful. I think they warned this isn't this isn't going to be a uh, it should not be an anti-Western organization, um, but they need to you know make sure. Um, I think for Russia, this was uh, this summit was very important uh, because it highlighted that Russia is not fully globally isolated. Um, uh, but then again, when you look at some of the people who who, who were who who were in attendance, um, uh, I. I I believe Lukashenko was at the couch um, that I noticed where everyone was smiling. You know, th this is uh, it, it, this is an organization that the non-Central Asian big powers want to use to convey global influence and uh, increasingly expand it. Um, uh, and I think uh, they do so at Central Asia's expense, um, as I think Murat uh, mentioned, and a, a broader wider, bigger uh, SEO does not necessarily make it a, an effective, a more effective organization or a bigger, a better organization to problem solve in Central Asia. Great. Thank you. Murad, any last thoughts? Well, more generally, uh, what we see today is the confrontation between Western worlds and, uh, and, uh, and Eurasia. Yeah, it's not, just, it's not just a combined confrontation of Eurasian states with West, but each has their own problem. Yeah, China, they're in Taiwan and more Globally, something else, Russia, something else. It's interesting to remember this summit, I believe. We'll be remembering this summit in the upcoming year as marking a Eurasian group uh, which doesn't accept Western hegemony, which, is, which doesn't mean also that they are necessarily uh, seeing themselves in conflict with West. Yeah. Great. Thank you, Murat. And, and thank you, Paul and Mr. Paklawan for being on the program. Uh, and also a big thank you, as always, to Nathan Shoemaker, our Medjilis podcast producer in Washington, D.C., and the one that makes all the magic happen when you hear the broadcast on Sunday. And a reminder, you can subscribe to the Medjilis podcast or Central Asian Focus newsletter by visiting RFARL's website at rfarl.org. Thanks, and we'll be back next week. Bye.